You're listening to From the Clubhouse, a National Club Golfer podcast. first two books were hailed for changing the games of golfers all over the world. Now the successful teaching duo of Gary Nicholl and Carl Morris are back, and they've roped in some pretty big names to help them. The Lost Art of the Short Game is the final part of the best-selling Lost Art of Golf series, and this time Gary and Carl aim to free you from the shackles you have self-imposed on your short games. Using the successful formula of getting you to look within, rather than going heavy on technique, the trio of titles form a complete overview of the game and are an essential part of every golfer's library. Wedges guru Bob Vokey, renowned golf architect Mike Clayton, and former Ryder Cup player turned commentator Andrew Coulthard are among the special guests lending their own wisdom across the pages. So to find out more about this book and how it can help your game, Gary and Carl are my guests this week on the From the Clubhouse podcast. Gary, Carl, welcome to the NCG podcast. Thank you. Thanks for asking us to join in. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Dave. Good to be here. Can you um, tell me the secret about writing best-selling books? Because you've had your third one out now. The Lost Art of the Short Game is proving to be a huge success. I'm following up the series of the lost art of putting and the lost art of playing golf. What is it about you two guys that really get golfers wanting to read and wanting to learn from you? Well, I think there's a there's, there's a thirst, Steve, out there at the moment because for the last 25 to 30 years we've we've kind of been drowned in technical information and sort of a more scientific approach to the game, which you know we're always at pains to say has its place, it has its part. We're not dismissing all of that. But the, the the true art of the game is what is what really captures people's imagination. You know, we we actually start this latest book describing two shots that, for those those of a, a sort of more of a vintage generation, will remember one of the shots. But most people who, who are sort of in the in the sort of past twenty years of age will remember the second one. One was the, the Seve Ballesteros shot in 1976 when he played an amazing shot on the final hole and then the, the other one was Tiger Woods's famous chip on the 16th at the Masters I think it was 2005 and both those two shots just kind of set the scene for what happens what what amazing things can happen when somebody captures when somebody's using more of their imagination and the creative side of the of the game so I think that's what uh, hopefully is, is engaging people there's lots of stories there's, uh, there's lots of good contributors in in, in the books as well and uh, Hopefully, as Gary will reinforce it, uh, bottom line is it, it actually gives you a better experience of the game and uh, more enjoyment tends to lead to better performance. Um, I was going to say that, but you've just beat me to it. <laughs> no, I think Carl's hit on the nail on the head there with, you know, talk of creativity. When you when you watch golf on TV, never mind when you're playing, when, you just, when you're watching golf on TV, that's what engages and kind of captures the audience's imagination is the creativity, these spectacular shots that come from impossible positions. That's what people marvel at. Yes, it's nice to see 300-yard drives, but they're becoming a bit kind of commonplace these days, um, certainly on, on TV at the, at the highest level. But what really captures the imagination are the 
the spectacular shots. And a lot of these happen around the greens. So we're, we're, I guess we're just trying to help people understand that there is more to golf than hitting big bombs off the tee. You can be fiercely competitive, as we, we've all played against the, the people who have ridiculous short games that perhaps aren't the best ball strikers, but they're fearsome competitors because on the right the greens, they're just a, a match for anyone. And that's there's a real joy to be had in creating amazing shots around about the greens. So we, we want people to just kind of get really involved in the act of creating shots. You know, get using your imagination, try something a little bit different. If it doesn't come off, it doesn't come off. It will the next time. If you don't try, you'll never know. We'll get into some of the aspects of the book in a minute or two. We won't give too much away because we want people to go and buy it, obviously. But, I mean, just are, you, are, you, are the two of you still surprised by the success of these titles? I mean, they really have been incredibly well received, haven't they? It's it's always nice, Steve, to, uh, to hear that the books are selling well. And, and the first two books... Uh, some of the reviews that we've had have been have been amazing, really. When you when you actually sit down and, and read them, and that you know they're not they're not our friends that have written them; they are verified purchasers of the of the book. And it seems that uh, you know a couple of people have said it's really just made a complete difference to the way that they, they approach the game, their enjoyment of the game. So it's it's wonderful to to hear that and see that. And I think that was one of the things that that gave us the inspiration to 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 to, to do the third book. Um, but that's it now. We've uh, we've we've finished now. There's no more books after this. It's not going to be like the Rocky series. We're not going to keep going forever. So uh, the the, th- the three books are the complete collection. So uh, I, I know I know all three are available now, and you can buy a box set and everything and all of those things. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's just been really inspiring to hear what people have people have said about the experience of reading the book, and uh, and that kept us going really. Yeah, and you'd agree with that, Gary. Yeah, I mean, we, we get so many emails and messages and notes on social media and whatever saying that, you know, I was going to give up the game. I was, you know, getting so frustrated with it, trying to be, you know, in the search for technical perfection that was always eluding me. And But finally, you know, I, I've read something that it, so many people said that this is these books could have been written for me personally, which is great. You know, it's obviously they've, they've resonated with an awful lot of people. And I think we've kind of written them in a language, hopefully, that people will understand and can relate to which was kind of is quite conversational there as carl says there's a few stories in there we've got some fantastic guest contributors who've been incredibly um gracious with their their time and their their input so we're, we're very grateful for all that and the, the fact that we we do receive and constantly receive so many nice comments you know if we can help one or two people play a bit more better golf or have a bit more fun on the golf course or even dig the clubs out the, the cupboard again after having sat there for God knows how long, then we feel like we've, we've done our job. I know you've touched on this a little bit earlier, but let, let's get into some aspects of the book and the $64,000 question as always. What is the lost art of the short game? I think what has been lost in the art of the short game, well, it's become less of an art, it's become more of a science. You know, we all know that in order for the ball to do a certain thing, it has to be lodged at a certain angle with a certain amount of dynamic loft and various other aspects, which are great. Understanding what makes the ball or understanding what conditions are required to make the ball do a certain thing. However, that's all very well 
if you've got a perfectly flat surface and you've got kind of studio conditions. But on the golf course, we don't have any of that. You've got to get a bit more creative. You've got to be a bit more imaginative because the golf course is going to demand all sorts of different shots from you every time you play. It's going to ask different questions. And if, you know, we see it all too often, someone misses a green, they reach in the bag, straight to the log wedge, and they've got, they're still 60, 70 yards or 100 yards from the green. They've got no concept of the lie they're going to have. They've got no idea of how far the shot's going to be, if the ground's going to be sloping away from them, with them, is the ball going to be above their feet, below their feet. They've decided what shot they're going to play from 100 yards away, which is absolute madness. They've got no idea if it's sitting down, if it's sitting up, if it's in a bunker, is it plugged, is it in a good lie? So what we want to do is just help people re-engage with the, the creative side of the game of golf. Because that is, you know, when we grew up playing as kids, we didn't have full sets of golf clubs. You had a half set. So you learned how to use all sorts of different clubs to create different shots. And I guess we probably didn't perhaps appreciate that at the time. But on reflection, looking back, that was an amazing education. It was an amazing grounding in the game because you, you learn to play these shots out of necessity. And, you know, we sometimes go back and try and replicate the shots we played, you know, flop shots out of a bunker with a nine iron, eight iron, whatever, that you had to play as a kid. And it's great fun. It's fantastic fun. Do you think, Carl, that as golfers, we've gradually lost sight of what really matters when it comes to tackling these kinds of shots? And we're all focused, we're desperately focused at the moment, aren't we, on statistics, because we've got wonderful apps that can tell us exactly doing we know we're continually focused on numbers and I, I get from from having a read of your book that creativity and thought and imagination are just as key absolutely Steve. yeah we're, we're uh, there's a there's a great coach who, who said that we've um we've 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 stopped particip participation in the quest for, for perfection and i think that's a great phrase really that that we've become so obsessed by scoring so obsessed by numbers so obsessed by data which does all have its place but if, if, it, if it's so much about numbers we tend to become very analytical very left brain and actually the real joy of the game the, the thing that started us playing the game in the first place is just the feeling of hitting shots the seeing the golf ball soar into the sky and you know making contact with it and developing our game and then seeing that we can play certain shots different different highs different trajectories different different spins on the ball and things like that so i think that what we're aiming at is is a kind of balancing act really is whereby people can engage more of the creative side of the the, the personality which will actually it's a reverse engineering room which will which in the long run will allow them to play better golf will allow them to score it's kind of like backing off the scoring quest for a while uh, not being so focused on on absolute numbers and an and absolute improvement in terms of just data it's just more your own personal experience because i think if we're if we're so obsessed with numbers we get more and more detached from the feelings that the game can can give us that sense of joy of, of being out there in nature, that connection with other people that we're, that we're playing golf with, we can end up so much in our own head. And, you know, you, it, it breaks my heart when I see people on a golf course just absorbed in, the, in, in their apps on the phones and things like that. And so, so focused on, on just numbers alone. 
as I say, use it appropriately, but give yourself the opportunity to sort of just connect with another side, another side that really sparks very, very positive emotions and the joy of producing shots, the connection with, as I say, with nature and other people, which, uh, as I say, is just a balancing act really as much as anything else. This is a part of the game where I think a lot of amateurs struggle. I mean, I, I play off eight and I I would say that I struggle mostly uh, in and around the greens. You know, even if my long game is really off, I mean, I can be around a green in two. And yet getting down, getting up and down for par or even trying to save bogey can sometimes be a struggle. Yet you guys in the book frequently say that the effective solutions to this can be simple. Can you try and explain what you mean by that? Sure. It's interesting what you just said there. You can be on or around the greens in two but you're struggling to get up and down for par. So you're not really thinking about the shot, you're thinking about the end result. You think, again, going back to what Carl's just said, you're thinking about the number. You're thinking about your score relative to par. So when your attention is on that, it's not really on the shot. So when you're thinking about, now, if I can get this up and down, if I can ship this to maybe six feet and then a hole the par, then I'll, 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 be, I'll only be two over, played nine holes, so I'm going pretty well the front nine, so that gives me a bit of leeway on the back nine. And all of a sudden, mentally, you're filling out your scorecard on the 18th green, and you face with a chip, a fairly straightforward chip onto the ninth green. You've not even played nine holes yet, and you're mentally adding up your scorecard. So you can't possibly be paying attention to what you're doing in the present moment when your mind has travelled two hours forward in time. And you predict, you start predicting, if you do that the 10th, and then if I, you know, 12's a par 5, so I should be able to make birdie there. Thirds of, the 13's a short par 3. Again, you, you get so far away from the task, and you become disconnected from it. And if you're not paying attention to what's happening in the present moment, don't expect to influence it. But I think that the worst aspect of that is if you're not paying attention to what you're doing at this precise moment in time, you're actually robbing yourself of that experience. I'm smiling here, Gary, because it's as if you're in my head. <laughs> basically, just spelled yeah, out. We've just been doing this a long time. <laughs> basically, spelled out what I do on a golf course for four-hour stretches. And I think what a lot of us do, you know, we do get to. Well, you're not unique, trust me. Yeah, we do get to the side of a green, and we think it'd be really nice to get this up and down for par. Sometimes I've started with four straight pars and thought, oh, I'm, I'm on for a really good day today, and yet. This is and this is a frequent theme in your other books as well, isn't it? About golfers who get in their own way. Yeah. You see, you see, one interesting point to this, Stephen. It's it's quite a deep subject, I suppose, to go into. Is that maybe the fundamental delusion or illusion that we all play the game under is I'll be happy when out in level par. I'll be happy when I can score under my handicap. I'll be happy when I get my handicap down. Uh, in professional game, I'll be happy when I get on tour. And then I'll be happy when I win a tournament. And I'll be happy when I win a major. And it's all of those things that are just, just way off in the future. And if there's one thing that I've learned in over sort of 30 odd years of coaching this game, is that you won't. You, you, you won't be happy when you've got your handicap down or you've got on tour or, or you've won a major or whatever. I've, I've been fortunate to, to experience people who've done all of those things. And whilst they're nice, we're not saying don't have goals and don't have directions. The, 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 the victory is like a puff of smoke. It appears and disappears really, really quickly. So what we're saying is actually the, the, the victory, the wins can, can happen today. 
rather than deferring feeling good to some point that you think will happen in the future, is actually deciding that you're going to go out and the person that you're going to be on the golf course is one that's that's engaged in that, that joyous nature of creating shots and that that sort of appreciation for being out there on on the course itself. And again, we've already said it paradoxically, the more that you're in that state of mind, the more, more likely the other stuff that you think you're going to be happy about will come true anyway. Yeah, it's important to uh, say to listeners that this is not a technical book in the sense of um, hints and tips and ball positions and how to play shots. It, it, it's a much more wider scope than that. So if you could just try and explain what you've tried to achieve. Sure. Uh, the first two books were certainly extremely non-technical. I mean, possibly the, the least technical golf instruction books, if you could call it golf instruction books ever written. Uh, this one, we, we felt that there was a, a little bit of a need to have a little bit of kind of technical instruction, basically based around the tools of your trade, you know, your wedges, how to use or how to apply the wedges appropriately, efficiently, effectively. Um, so we, we delved into that a little bit, but basically what we're really asking people to do is take on board the concepts, personalise them, explore with different shots with different clubs explore experiment and find the best way for you it's not about you've got to do it my way or carl's way or anyone else's way it's about finding the best way for you it's not about finding the way it's about finding your way and we find that that really kind of resonates with people that they find it quite liberating they're not being told what to do they're not being judged on your bob's position is too far forward it's too far back you've got too much weight here you're this you're that whatever we're not judging anyone if you have found a way that really works for you then who are we to say you've got to stop doing it and do something slightly different that we would recommend when you find your way is your way and if it works it works that's you know all the, the players we've worked with from you know weekend warriors to, to major champions over the years is the, the one thing they have in common is that they have found the most successful ones have found their way to do it and have stuck with it and just polished it and mastered it and worked at it to become even better at their kind of brand of golf, if you like. Yeah, do you want to come in there, Carl, as well? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Gary's hit the nail nail on the head there about finding finding your way. You know, I, I, smile, I smiled recently um, watching Matt Fitzpatrick play some, some short shots around the greens and, um, you know, done it very successfully, cack-handed. Now, you, you know, you, 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 it would be very easy to sort of say, oh, that's the wrong way of doing it. But fair play to him and great credit to him. He's been bold enough to be creative and explore a different option that for, for whatever reason, we're not saying everybody should go out and try and chip cack-handed by any means, but he's been bold enough to try something that most people would, you know, that their eyes would sort of uh, bulge at the thought of, of, of playing the, playing short shots out on the course cack-handed other than as a last resort if you've if you've had the yips but i just think it's a good example you know and, and back to sevi that we've mentioned right at the beginning is, is 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 just being bold enough to try different ways try different different options and what we what we reinforce in the book is that the, the, there is an instruction that's worth knowing about and that's the, about the golf club about how, how to use the tool and what it's designed what it's actually designed to do rather than what you're supposed to do what's the golf club supposed to do and then 
when you know what the golf club is supposed to do, you can find your own unique way of movements to actually accommodate the requirements of the golf club. So it's a kind of, again, it's a different way of approaching it rather than the standard way is, oh, you've got to do all of these things. And if you do all of these things, you'll hit good shots. We're starting saying, OK, well, have a really clear idea what the golf club needs to do and then trust your body to start to find ways of making that happen. This book features uh, contributors as much of your own your own thoughts and ideas. I mean, we've got um, obviously Mike Clayton, um, who's one of the greatest golf architects out there at the moment. Uh, Bob Vokey. I mean, if you want to know anything about wedges, why would you go anywhere further than than Bob Vokey? Was it great to get these guys on board and work with them? Yeah, fantastic. I mean, we have had guest contributors in the the previous two books, but we we felt that. Um, and because they were very successful and very well received, we thought we've got a pretty successful formula here. Why, why not use that, stick with it and perhaps expand on it? So, yeah, we were very fortunate. We've pretty much everyone we've ever asked to contribute either to writing a foreword or just a, 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 a guest chapter, if you like. They've pretty much always said, yeah, absolutely, we'd love to. So, yeah, we've been very fortunate in that respect. I mean, Mike is, I've known Mike a long time on and off from when he played back in Europe back in the day. And he was a, he was a great character. He was always good fun to be around. And he's a fantastic writer. As you say, he's one of the, the best architects, very creative mind, uh, great thinker about the game. And, you know, it, it, the pieces he's written for us, especially in this book, just fantastic. You know, for me, it's worth the cover price alone just to read a bit of Clayton's work. And Bob Vokey, who you also mentioned, we were, I bet, Bob many years ago again. Um, but then through a mutual friend of ours, of Carl and mine, we got in touch with him. And we had a couple of very kind of lengthy, informative Zoom calls with him once we, I mean, the three of us were real tech, techno dinosaurs. So how we ever got the three of us on the same call at the same time is quite a, a miracle in itself. Um, but speaking of Bob, it was, just, it was fantastic. You know, he's 82 years old. We'd passed for 60. And if you just listen to him, you'd think he's about 21. His enthusiasm for the game and love of the game and what he does within the game is, is, is incredible. And he was you know, extremely helpful, extremely generous with his time. And, we, you know, we're very grateful to have the opportunity to, to speak to these people and to work with them. Yeah, just give me a sense, Carl, as well, of um, what we can take from those lessons as we try and improve our own game. Obviously, we're, um, those who've bought the, the previous two books will be very familiar with your kind of storytelling and, and, and your message. But what, what does the addition of these contributors uh, bring to the whole piece? Well, I think when you, when you hear people's life story uh, encapsulated in a, in a, in a chapter, as, as many of the contributors have, have done, Again, stories capture our imagination and and we tend to remember stories better than we tend to remember facts and facts and figures. And, you know, just just to reinforce what Gary said about about Bob, I mean, I I wish we we could have put a video uh, in the book in a way um, or or shown a a video with the book of of the conversation that we had, because the absolute passion and enthusiasm that, that Bob still displays for his and it is a craft was was just really inspiring to, to see so you know in, in answer to the question what, what what are you going to get from the contributors it's just it's just different ideas it's just it's just different thoughts that our recommendation would be that you read the whole book let the concept settle and then 
100% the message is to personalize it, is to take out the bits that you feel relevant or important. They'll resonate with you. You'll know that it's important to you. And then you take that information and, and, and you act on it. And then it's the kind of book that you can just pick up and just read one chapter here and there and, and drills that you can do. There's lots of there's lots of practical things in the book that you can actually go away and start to train with straight away. You know, and the, uh, you know, this time of year is a good time to do that. It's a good time to maybe get yourself fitted with some some wedges. I mean, that's one of the things that Bob did reinforce that, you know, why on earth do we spend so much money with getting fittings for drivers uh, when when actually the real action for the, for the game, the real scoring elements of the game are from uh, 90 yards in and, and, and to get a fitting for the short game is so, so important. It's, it's, it's vital that you understand what the clubs that you've got are designed to do, first of all, but then the golf clubs need to be tailored to you as an individual. Yeah, and, and this is a book of stories as well, isn't it? As much as anything else, there's some um, great moments, Gary, where you recount um, experiences that you had, obviously, with Gordon Brand Jr. and, and with, with Paul Broadhurst. This is about um, experience as much as guiding and instructing people. Yeah, I mean, I learned while I was coaching these guys, I was learning from them as much as they were learning from me. You know, they were perhaps coming from me for some guidance, but ultimately I was picking their brains as much as anything else. And was it picking their brains? Yes, it was. But also just through watching and asking questions and, and learning, you know, I was speaking to someone this morning about the work I did with Paul Broderick and his short game was just incredible. I mean, just to watch him play these shots was just an absolute joy. But if you asked him to explain how he played these shots, he would say, well, I can't really, I could show you. Don't know if I could tell you how to play them, but I could show you. I could. I know what I'm, what I'm feeling. And part of my job was almost to help him understand what was going on when he played these shots, when they did, when his short game did occasionally go off a little bit he could find a route back to where he was very, very quickly. So he could demonstrate the shot, but he couldn't explain it. So it was my job to help him kind of find his his way back on track rather than having to struggle with changing a thousand different things because you know what it's like when part of your game goes off just a little bit, the temptation is to change everything. And you end up so far away from where you need to be, it's just ridiculous and there's, there's no way back. But we do, from having worked with all sorts of different players over the years, we, we have learned that the ones who have had the most success, the ones who have had the most fun on the golf course, are the ones who are prepared to explore and experiment and find the best way to play a certain shot. You know, they'll drop three balls and take three different clubs and try and play three different shots to the same flag and find out which they are most comfortable with. And, you know, just little exercises like that, they're just, they're worth so, they're invaluable. These little pieces of wisdom that we've picked up over the years from working with various players, it's, yeah, it's been great. And to be able to share these stories and these experiences with everyone else and the hope that they will be able to take something from that and apply it to their own game is, is great fun. Yeah, it feels like the series as a collection is a, and particularly this book is a little bit of a fight back against the argument that distance is everything that um, you've just got to hit the ball as far as possible. It doesn't matter where it goes because then you can just, you know, you'll have a shorter iron and you can and you can get it to the green and the game's all right. Strokes gained is 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 what it's all about. It just feels that 
um, there's a little bit of a movement here to just bring back some creativity, the power of your story, as you put it. Yeah, I mean, it, it always amuses me that, 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 you know, there's so much emphasis put on on hitting it a long way. Don't get me wrong, I'm not foolish enough to think that at the, at the highest level of the game that, that hitting it a long way is not a huge advantage because it is, it's been proven so. But what people miss the point is the ones who, who hit the ball a long way are the ones who take advantage of doing that because they've got a good short game, they've got a good pitching game. You know, yeah, Tiger Woods and Bubba Watson, and, you know, many of these great, great players, Mickelson, obviously, um, you know, if, you, if, you, if, if, if somebody suddenly waved the magic wand for everybody listening and they gave them an, an extra 30 yards off the tee, that really wouldn't be of that much value unless you can actually finish it off. Now, of course, it's easier going in with an eight iron than it is with a five iron. You're bound to knock it a little bit closer, but you're still from the hundred yards in. That's still where the, the 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 real gold is. If you you know one of the great players of the past who was tragically taken away far too young, Tony Lima, he called from a hundred yards in. He called it the cone of contention, and I think that's a great description of that area of the game from a hundred yards in. That get it to get it to within that area, and you, you're in contention. It's all right being in contention, but you're going to be able to finish the job off by an understanding of what you're actually trying to do and having had some training behind you and some focus on that, which allows you to execute these short shots. You're nodding, Gary. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, as, as Carl said, it's all very well hitting the ball a mile off the tee, but unless you can convert that into a score, then all you're doing is hit the ball a long way off the tee. You know, ultimately, we... We spend a, a little bit too much time or a disproportionate amount of time as golfers working on our long games. And when you're working on that, you're not working on your short game. And if you're not working on your short game, you're not. Everybody's thinking about, I want to score, I want to score, lowest score wins, which is great. But you, you don't get the ball in the hole with your driver. Very rarely, anyway. <laughs> it's pretty occasional when someone actually holds the ball out with their driver. So you've got to really pay attention to look at your own game. You know, as a, anyone who's listening to this, have a real close, in-depth look at your own game. And we guarantee you, you if you hit the ball 10 yards further off the tee, would that change your scoring ultimately? Unlikely. If you got sharper, more comfortable, more confident and more capable from 100 yards, 120 yards, even 120 yards in, or even just round about the greens, never mind field shots, just your finesse shots with wedges, you could save comfortably two or three shots without doing anything else with the rest of your game. You know, if you can shave a couple of shots off by chipping it a little bit closer, getting out of the bunker in one shot rather than two or three, pitching over a bunker rather than into a bunker, you know, all of a sudden you can walk off the course thinking, I actually feel like I nicked a couple of shots there. That's a pretty rare occurrence, isn't it? We normally sit down the clubhouse afterwards and reflect on all the shots we left lying out there. Very rarely do you hear anyone say, well, do you know what? I nicked a couple out there and it was really, really satisfying, very rewarding. So, yeah, it's it's all very well hitting off the tee a long way, which is it's rewarding. It's very it's good for the ego. It makes you feel good. But unless you can convert these big drives into scores, then they're just big drives. It's a great book, chaps. The Lost Art of the Short Game, available on Amazon, as are the previous two books, The Lost Art of Putting and The Lost Art of Playing Golf. And I think you can get them all in a 
trio in a, in a nice box and a collector collection set so if you are listening and you haven't um read gary and carl's work please do so um best of luck with the third book guys and and thank, thank you. me on the ncg podcast not at all just to say you can also get them at the lost art of golf.com and we've got a yeah we've got the, the golf the lost art of golf collection box set make a lovely christmas present thanks steve thanks for having us really enjoyed it yeah thanks again steve 